Welcome to our podcast, Talk To Me Sister. I'm Kathy. And I am Sarah. And we are twin sisters documenting our surrogacy journey, discussing women's health, motherhood, and all the details that led us here. Our mission is to not only educate and inform, but to spread joy and hope through our story. Thanks for following along. Welcome, guys. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to dig into this topic. This is one we've been waiting to do, and we're excited to share more. We are going to take you back a bit to where this all began and discuss the details of Sarah's cancer journey. So we've mentioned before that Sarah is a cancer survivor. She's going to tell us all of that. We're going to talk about her cancer treatment We're going to talk about her diagnosis day, her symptoms leading up to it, her um, emotional and spiritual journey in the middle of it. We're going to talk about, you know, fighting cancer as a mom. And part of her treatment, of course, chemo, and she also had a partial hysterectomy, which is what led us to our journey today at surrogacy, because Mia is her surrogate. That's right. So this will be long-winded on my part, this episode, but we wanted to give some insight into the backstory of our surrogacy journey. So like Kathy said, unfortunately, um, I'm in the cancer club, a club that you don't want to ever be a part of, but you know, it it was gut-wrenching and hard, but I learned a lot about myself and a lot about motherhood and all the things. So we're going to discuss a couple things, but we want Sarah to start by giving us a backstory and what led us up to your diagnosis, and let's start at the beginning. Okay. It was around the time I quit my job. I was having a lot of what I thought was postpartum symptoms, a lot of fatigue. I think every new mom experiences mom guilt. I was realizing, I've been at my job seven years, realizing I just needed a change, and I wanted to enjoy Charlotte. I didn't really know what the future held. How old was Charlotte? So at that time when I left my job, I believe she was about eight months old. Okay. So I did go back to work very, very soon. I think I went back to work at six weeks, which is, I do not advise that. (laughs) And I think I still was dealing with some postpartum stuff, definitely some hormonal things. But um, So I just had left my job. I actually was doing great. I had shed some baby weight. I started this, what I called this new health journey, which is laughable and funny to think about what that health journey really was going to entail later. But um, I lost some baby weight. At some point, about two months into just enjoying life and heading into spring and summer, I started a prolonged period. And I didn't think much of it. It was a period that was not like, it was unlike any other. It was like very, it was watered. It was very watery. I know that sounds gross and that's so TMI, but it was honestly like, um, I remember the first time it started, it was like my water broke. Mm. So like a prolonged menstrual cycle. When you say prolonged period, I thought you meant like a season, but yeah, prolonged like menstrual cycle. Yes. Prolonged menstrual cycle. So I was actually bleeding for what? was 30 days until I decided to go to the doctor and I should have gone before that but I'm glad I went and to cut this short I mean really after so so much blood work 
a misdiagnosed ectopic pregnancy, which if you don't know what that is, it's when a pregnancy gets lodged in the fallopian tubes. Because what happened when I took my blood work at my OB's office is it, it showed that I was pregnant, but when they did the ultrasound, there was no evidence of a gestational sac. There was no evidence of a, of a pregnancy whatsoever. So there's two diagnoses I had. One was the ectopic pregnancy, so they thought, and number two was maybe a miscarriage that, mm-hmm. you know, I had already miscarried and was just having that residual hormonal pregnancy blood work. So fast forward a couple weeks later, um, I was going to be scheduled for a DNC. My doctor was going to do a couple more tests on me just to be sure, but I will never forget it. It was, um, let's see, I think it was our anniversary. Richard and I were celebrating our anniversary and we decided to do a staycation. We didn't want to go anywhere because I was dealing with all this health stuff and we wanted to be close to the doctor. And we were at the Omni Hotel in Nashville. We're getting massages. And my doctor calls and she's like, your blood work came back. Your HCG hormone is like through the roof. So it was increasing. Her pregnancy hormone was going up, which shouldn't be the case with either of those diagnoses, ectopic or miscarriage, right? Right. And at the time they were like, okay, whatever's going on, we don't, they don't want the ectopic pregnancy to rupture the fallopian tube, which causes maybe called like hemorrhaging and there was a lot of things I didn't understand, but she was like, you guys need to come to the hospital right now. We're going to do a, a DNC surgery tonight. So <laughs> I will never forget that. We, I had my bathing suit on and cut off jean shorts and my hair was still wet because we were at the top of the pool area having drinks. It was like, you, I mean, one minute changes and you're in a hospital bed, not a pool chair. It's really crazy. But you came running. Mm-hmm. You met me at in the waiting room. I was bawling my eyes out because they were telling me that I might have a, to have a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. They were prepping me for surgery. And right before the DNC, I meet this um, woman who comes to my hospital bed. And she's like, you know, my name is Dr. So-and-so. And I'm going to be... In your OR tonight, I am an oncologist, but a surgeon, and I am the best of the best. And they had her on standby because she is one of the best GYN surgeons. And in case I needed a hysterectomy, they had her on on call, on standby, which at at the time I was kind of like, my heart stopped when she said she was an oncologist, but um, she said, I am the best with complicated GYN surgeries. So anyway... I met her, and um, what's crazy, and I'll, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, but she's now, she was my oncologist. I mean, it's crazy how God puts yourself, puts people in your path, because little did I know I would be sitting in her waiting room one week later. I remember meeting her because, like Sarah said, I was there mm-hmm. in, at the surgery, and we waited for a while. I remember that we had to wait until, like, 11 p.m. Yeah. Because you were in... Richard had had lunch and you had tacos yeah, <laughs> or something like that. And they had to wait until you were like 12 hours oh, food free eaten. Yeah. before they had give surgery. So I we waited until like the middle of the night. But I remember <laughs> meeting Dr. Nick. We'll say her name, I guess. Okay. I didn't um, know if I was yeah. to her or not. <laughs> uh, I guess we should ask her permission. We can like bleep her name out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she probably didn't care. She's incredible. But we'll ask her. We'll give her. her. <laughs> we'll yeah. sign a release. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
So I remember meeting her after your surgery and they came and told me and Richard, everything went well. She's downstairs. We had no hysterectomy, but she said there was no sign of a pregnancy. We removed tissue and we're going to test it. And I remember going, great. Oh my goodness. Wow. I'm so glad. Like all I could hear in my mind when she said that was good news. But I thought in that moment she was warning me and I had no idea. Yeah. Well, they, so, um, when I rec- after I was, I spent the night in the hospital after I recovered and they both, I barely remember it, but they both came up to my room and told me that they sent, you know, oh, we're going to send some tissue to the pathologist. And they both have amazing bedside manner. They're so caring, so generous. I feel so at peace in their presence. But I don't think I realized in that moment, like, what was ahead. Rewinding just a little bit before I went to the DNC, you were by my side, you and Richard, and I was bawling, crying, thinking I was going to have a hysterectomy. That was pre-cancer diagnosis, pre-anything, and you were like, don't worry, I'll be your, I'll be your surrogate. I remember we were just kind of laughing, but also like really nervous, and we, I think that was it, the first time I ever heard out of your mouth those words. Right, I think it's I like said- like the seed was planted or something. Right, they came, those words came out of my mouth, and I thought, weird, I don't know why I even said that. But I think in, in the moment, you were afraid- we were waiting mm-hmm. to go back for so long, and there yeah. was this anticipation. And I remember we giggled and laughed. It was like comic relief. Mm-hmm. I was like, Sarah, don't worry. I'll have your babies. And you said, we'll write a book called My Twin Had My Twins. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're having twins? And we giggled and laughed <gasps> about it. It was like comic relief in that scary moment. Yeah. And look at us now. It's really what I needed in the moment. I was coming undone. Um, and it's just funny now in this moment. It's just, it's just wild how, how life happens. But moving on, I had my DNC. I met my doctors. I went home to recover. You know, I took a few days down and was just kind of getting back on my feet. And it was the day after the 4th. We had the holiday. And that day I was going to go to my mom's house to just get the kids together. And we were going to hang out. July 4th. Right? July 4th. Yeah, because my DNC was end of June. It was July 4th. So day after the holiday everybody was recovering moving slow I get a call from my doctor about 10 a.m. and she's it's actually my OB's nurse and she's like we need you to come in ASAP and she didn't really tell me why I was like well I just I thought I was gonna get blood work on Monday it's it's you know I'm pretty sure it was the weekend or something anyway I had a pit in my stomach because I'm like well they don't want to tell me something on the phone what's going on so I got Charlotte taken care of. I went to my OB's office. The nurse took me back and she walked in and she, I could just tell, I was just trying to read like everything about her face. And she basically said, so we got your pathology back. You have cancer. And I remember it was like all the life in my body left me. It was like, I couldn't, her mouth was moving, but I couldn't really understand I could tell she knew I wasn't not really, like, connecting it. So she wrote on a post-it, Dr. Nick's office and her suite number. And she was like, Dr. Nick didn't want me to send you home with the snooze. She's going to make room for you today. You're going to go across the street and meet with her today. That's That was your oncologist. And that's my oncologist, yes. Because the OB, women's OB, had their own building. So I managed to get myself together, go down the elevator, go into the parking garage, get in my car, and drive across the street to the oncology unit. To this day, I have, like, vague recollection of that. I think I was hyperventilating. I think I was 
bawling in the elevator. I wanted to like go hug strangers. Mom was in Texas, which felt like she could have been in, you know, in, on Mars. Like I just felt like, oh, and what's crazy, it was Richard's first day at his new job. <gasps> I don't remember that. Now I remember it. I said it was the weekend. It wasn't the weekend. It, it was, was his Friday. first day. It was, it was a Friday. Yeah, it was a it was a Friday. It was the first day of his new job, and I'm like, can you? Ima-? I was like, what what kind of bomb am I about to drop on him? Just like, hey, you're at your first day lunch break. Can you meet me at the oncology unit? I have cancer. Like, so did you? I remember you. You know, you texted and you called me, yeah. Sarah, me and Anna. I but did. I can't remember. Did you wait? I told did you, you call Richard phone. right away. Yeah, you I told called me on the Richard. Phone. I called Richard right away, and then I called Mom, and then I called you guys yeah. on my way. On Yeah. I was in the car driving, too, when you called me, and I pulled over. I was like, what? Yeah. It was like all life left my body. Yeah. Um, I called Richard immediately because I wanted – I needed him there. He, he dropped what he was doing at work, and he came and met me at Dr. Nick's office. Good. I mean, there's nothing that's going to prepare you to ever f- hear those words. You feel so out of control. And you're just so desperate for answers. Luckily, my whole life has been built on strong faith. And immediately, that's where I had to turn to, to strength. I didn't know what else to do, really. Um, When I was in Dr. Nick's office that first day, she has the most calming, kind presence. She really put me at ease and I was just grasping at I'm such a doer and a, such a control freak you know have like a tight sludge of sludge sl- touch of OCD yes. I so do I think it's just like a control thing and I felt so out of control that in the moment I was just grasping at a job she could give me how I could control it and she put me at ease she said you know what why don't you leave the medical stuff to me because she was so confident And she was like, but things that you can control is what you put in your mind, what you put in your body, and who you surround yourself with. And I thought that was, it was so important for her to say that to me because it gave me jobs. It gave me a little piece of something I could do and contribute to my health because you go home after that and you're like, okay, well. But you say those three things again for people? Because I think those are so good, whether you're a cancer survivor or in other hard times. Yeah. There's only so much you can control. Yeah. So in the moment, I had to completely let go of my medical, my, I had to let go of my bodily control because, you know, I couldn't control what was happening inside my body, inside my uterus. But she was so confident in that piece of it. But what I asked her, what can I do? And she said, you do have control over three things, what you put in your mind, what you put in your body and who you surround yourself with. Mm. So in my mind, that was like, okay, um, what I think about, what I tell myself, the mind and body connection is so powerful. You know, I covered myself with scripture. I covered myself with positive affirmations. I told my body it was healing. Um, What I put in my body, nutrition, you helped me a ton with that. Um, I got a juicer. I started contributing to nourishing my body, preparing it for chemo, preparing it to heal, and who I surround myself with. I mean, that is huge. In in our life stage, I mean, you don't have to be friends with everybody. It's not like I'm not friendly with everybody, but there's certain toxic toxicity and, you know, negative positivity. We'll talk about that later. Um but it was so important for me to surround myself with people who are going to speak life and healing into my season. Um, so 
that was huge. And in that moment, um, so I went into Dr. Nick's office. I was diagnosed with choriocarcinoma. I had never heard of it before. I knew it was related to the uterus or GYN, you know, because she was a GYN surgeon and GYN oncologist and my OB had sent me and I had the bleeding and all the things, but I didn't know anything about it. So choriocarcinoma starts in the uterus and it's from placental tissue or abnormal placental cells that turn cancerous. So it's from a pregnancy. It doesn't have to be a full-term pregnancy, but you Mm -hmm. can get this from a miscarriage or anything like that, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. But this choriocarcinoma starts from placental tissue, a.k.a. a pregnancy. So it's actually, yes, and it's actually rare that it it stems from a full-term pregnancy. Oh, I didn't know that. It's rare anyway. So if there's a pregnant person listening, like, this is probably not going to be you. I mean, I was like a needle in haystack, unfortunately. It, yes, it can come from a full-term pregnancy, a miscarriage, or a molar pregnancy. And that's gut-wrenching, you know, if it comes... You know, I was blessed to have Charlotte, and they said it was... We can only calculate that it was from my pregnancy with Charlotte, but they never could for sure say. I have a question. Okay. She was, raised her hand, so... <laughs> was bleeding your only symptom? Yes. So this is what's wild is ironically, I felt great. I was losing my baby weight. I quit my job. I was spending time for myself. You were I, exercising. I was exercising. You had energy. Yes. I, I really didn't feel bad. And I, that's what the one thing I told Dr. Nick when she said, you have choriocarcinoma when I got into her office. I was like, are you sure? Because I feel the the best I've felt in seven years. And... My scans didn't lie. I did an MRI. They showed showed the tumor in the uterus. My blood work was skyrocketing every week, which which is HCG levels, which is I you know what we were testing you for when we were hoping that you know you were pregnant with baby boy. What, it, it was your tumor marker. Yeah, it was. It actually that HCG level ended up being my tumor marker because they wanted to get rid of all of those cells. So I want to point out a couple things here. Just for people listening, one thing I always am so grateful that you did, Sarah, is listen to your body Mm -hmm. because you have had, you've made connections with other women who have had choriocarcinoma Mm -hmm. and didn't listen to this physical symptoms right away. Because I think, especially because we have a period every month, we like expect to bleed and we expect to have just like (laughs) strange things happen. Mm -hmm. But when we're not in tune with our body and we ignore the bleeding, we ignore the cramps, we ignore the abnormalities, it can be dangerous. But you noticed right away that this was abnormal bleeding for you and you went in and checked it out. And so my my encouragement to people who are listening is just to start being in tune with your body, in tune with your cycle not that you're watching for cancer, but like you're watching for any abnormality, hormone imbalances and things like mm-hmm. that. It's so important to be aware of your body because you know what your normal is. That's and, right. And the mind-body connection is really serious, which is why I was always so impressed, Sarah, with like right away you had these action steps and you were really focused on the mental battle of mm-hmm. a cancer journey too. I was, I want to say one thing about that too because – my mental battle was probably just as hard if not harder than my physical battle I said I cover myself with scripture and I you know have a strong foundation does not mean I would 
I was okay the whole time. That it was easy. And that it was easy. Yeah. And I had to get to a point, you guys helped me a lot, my support system, get, get to a point where you were like, it's okay to not have it all together. It's mm-hmm. okay to not feel strong. I had to get to the point where I had to r- release the fact that I was weak. I was weak. I was physically weak and I was emotionally weak and mentally weak. And that was okay. Yeah. It's okay to be not okay. Right? Yeah, that's right. We'll talk about that for sure. So I remember after you got your diagnosis, you we went straight. Like this was a Friday. I think you went straight Monday or Tuesday mm-hmm. and started treatment. And they, we were all encouraged, I remember, and you can remind me, but I remember being encouraged because you were on, only starting with like chemo shots. You didn't, they said, this should work. This should, you know, this should be okay. We're going to do some chemo shots, yeah. not the whole shebang. Right. And uh, as a good doctor should do, you know, we're going to start small and, you know, we're going to hope that this works because the way choriocarcinoma in the past, the evidence shows that there's some women where they it, they can be resolved with just methotrexate shots. Okay. So I was hoping that I was one of them, which means the shots were low dose methotrexate, which I wouldn't lose my hair. I wouldn't be down too long. Well, we did those for a couple weeks, and I think I want to say the first week my my counts went down, and I was really encouraged. But we started doing the regular shots, and as the weeks went by, my numbers started rising again, which to my doctors, you know, to the facts showed, you know, this is not really working. It, this, it was growing. It was continuing it, yeah. to grow. Despite the methotrexate shots, this tumor was growing. So we had to go to phase two, which is not what my doctor wanted to tell me and not what I wanted to hear, but it was an Emico treatment. It was a cocktail of about five chemo drugs. I knew at that point I was going to lose my hair because of the type of drugs that was in that regimen. And it was not going to be just shots. I was going to have to put in a port, which I think mentally was really hard for me because I was like an official cancer patient at that point. A port, um, a port goes in your chest and it's, it's, slightly under the skin. I have two scars actually on my chest that will probably never go away, but they're a good reminder of me of um, your journey, my journey and strength, but it goes right under the skin and it's what they do to get your needle in and how they give you chemo. It's, it's like a IV, but it's just stuck in your skin, right? Yes. It's, I, I actually en- enjoyed it. I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, if they were to give me this type of chemo through an IV in my veins, like, no, that would, I would, that's not even possible. So it's just a easy access way to give high dose chemotherapy, mm-hmm. but they put you under, um, they put it in, they sew it up. It's, it has to heal. And about a week after my port was put in, I started high dose chemotherapy what was that like? I mean, can you summarize it? I mean, I was there for some of it, so I'm just trying to... Yeah, so the treatment was Emico. So it was one week inpatient, one week overnight stay in the hospital. The overnight stays in the hospital was something that I really try to just forget. It was gut-wrenching, and it makes me, you know, just... It's hard to even think about it. And when I see people in the hospital doing chemo overnight, it just like, it brings me right there. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And if there's people in the hospital right now doing this, go see them, hold their hand, bring them some, bring them some flowers, bring them something to cheer them up. It's not easy. One thing I want to say is that we're so 
glad this happened when it did. This was 2018, right? Yeah. This mm-hmm. was 2018. So this was pre-COVID and last year people were going through chemo without having family there. Oh, I can't imagine. So when Sarah was doing this, we, every other Thursday night she was in the hospital and it's because she was getting 12 plus hours of chemo. So it made sense for you to get it through the night. Right. Is that why mm-hmm. they did that? That's right. Yeah. Pretty much in the beginning when you felt well, we had like parties in your room. Which we probably shouldn't have done. Yeah. I but we had like 12 people in there. We brought cakes and balloons and we would just sit with our girlfriends and chat so and try sweet. to bring blankets and make it feel cozy. Um, that was in the beginning. I think later on in your treatment, I remember you saying, I can't, I can't have people anymore. I yeah. Got too the tired. more, it was so sweet and I loved it. It was like the thought that counts. But as I got more into the treatment and as my body became weaker and weaker, I really couldn't even open my eyes. And so to have some, a bunch of people in there was hard for me. But at that point, it just a simple, sweet text was enough. Um, but yeah, the Emico treatment started. I was one week inpatient, one week overnight, and I knew I was going to lose my hair. It's silly to think that you're worried about your hair when you're going through, when you're fighting for, you know, to heal your body. At some point, it starts to not matter. But it is, I think, for a man or a woman, but specific, specifically a woman, I think that you know, we put a lot of identity in how we look. And for me, it wasn't really about the hair. It was like the the actual physical, you know, looking in my mirror moment and realization, like I am a cancer patient. Yeah. I don't have hair. And it was, it was more of that being hard for me than actually like anything physical. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It does. Hey guys. So we love this podcast. We really hope you do too. This is a great way to share our story. And if you have a few minutes to rate us or review us, we would be so grateful. Yes, we are supported by you, our friends and our listeners. You have heard me mention my favorite high quality vitamin company before, Seeking Health. I have been a fan for a really long time. So when they reached out, I kind of geeked out. So anytime you guys purchase your vitamins and supplements through our affiliate code, you are supporting the Talk To Me Sister podcast. All of that information is in our show notes, but Seeking Health is also offering you guys a 10% off promotion off your next order. Use the code SISTER10 to get 10% off. That's S-I-S-T-E-R and the number 10. That's awesome. Okay, so you guys, you want quality vitamins. Remember that. Don't waste your money, whether you're buying their optimal prenatal or active folate or the probiotics. These are numero uno. They're the best. They also have a genetic test kit that you can purchase on their website and do at home. It's a saliva test. It is a roadmap for your health and guides you at what supplements are best for your specific DNA. And it can help tell you what's contributing to your chronic health conditions and tell you what to do about it. So it's amazing. And so guys, this code won't expire. So if you're listening to this at a later date, no worries at all. So go get some quality vitamins, start feeling the benefits, start feeling better. That's Seeking Health, Sister 10 to get 10% off. Thanks so much. Um, I remember, tell us about cold caps. So Mm -hmm. in the beginning, when Sarah was starting this chemo and we knew that her hair would fall out, we did a process to try to keep her hair in her head. 
yep. called Cold Caps. We did end up shaving her head later down the road. So Sarah, tell us about that whole process. Yeah. So a couple weeks into the treatment, I had called an amazing woman who does cold caps and she does it as her ministry for cancer patients. I had right before I was diagnosed, I had a friend, um, same age as me who had just had a baby and was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, thankfully she's well now and she's through it and she's actually about to have her second baby. So, Mm -hmm. um, but she's the one that told me about cold caps because she did cold caps. Now her treatment and her, diagnosis was so different than mine. She was getting um, one chemo drug, I think it was Taxol or something, just a few hours, you know, once a week or something like that. So her regimen, cold caps, is a perfect solution. What, what is cold caps? So cold caps is, it looks like a cap that goes on your head and it's full of freezing cold dry ice and the person doing the cold cap to the patient, you put it on right before your treatment starts. And then you have to leave it on several hours after. I mean, several hours. And I'm not kidding. This isn't just like, oh, I'm just going to wear a little cap on my head while I do chemo. It's freezing cold. It's so uncomfortable. Part of me enjoyed it in this weird, strange way because it got my mind off of actually getting the chemo. I was focused on my head being so frozen. I mean, you had dry ice on your scalp. Oh, so, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm doing a bad job of explaining it, but you can Google it. And if you know somebody who's afraid to lose their hair and wants to look up the solution, it's, a, it's amazing. It basically freezes. So why you lose your hair is because the chemo kills the hair follicle because of the heat and the chemicals so the dry ice freezes the follicle intact while you get the chemo and then you keep it on there several hours after and it keeps your hair in place and it's honestly incredible I wish it had worked on me (laughs) I remember it helping a little bit I can remember a couple things I remember it helping a little bit Mm -hmm. I remember your hair not looking healthy like it did look Super dry and patchy. It was patchy. Oh, god! Which is why we ended up shaving it, which we'll talk about. But I also remember as a caregiver, like as someone who was around, Mm -hmm. mom and I learned from this girl who came and taught us how to do the dry caps. So we had maybe four ice caps, four or five. Yeah, you have to rotate them. And we had to pick up dry ice before our chemo days Mm -hmm. and put them in a cooler. We had all four caps in a cooler with the dry ice and we would rotate them. So they, if they, once it got warm enough, it wasn't effective. So we had to time it. It was like on your head for 30 minutes. And then we would put these gloves to protect our hands and switch the caps. Take yeah. one from the cooler, put it on your head, put the other cap back in. So it was like a full day event to put these caps on your head. Yeah. So it's not for the faint of heart. You need an army. But you know what we do for the ones we love? You do it. And I will say... Um, There's a lot of treatment plans that it's a perfect solution. For me, it wasn't. We tried, but it wasn't. I was having too much chemo. I was having to do overnight stays in the hospital. I was getting a chemo for like an eight-hour drip, and it's just, it's not feasible. Um, So at first, losing my hair, I mean, at first it was empowering. It was a little like when, when my hair got patchy and we decided to shave it, it was a little bit like cutting off the sickness or something like you were ready for it by the time we cut it off it was yes it was like giving me this gi jane mode for battle 
Um, you and Anna cut my hair in the bathroom. Charlotte was two years old, literally didn't even notice that I cut my hair. Bless her. It was kind of perfect the age she was at because she saw me as mom no matter what. Now she's almost four and she w- now she would be like, what, mom? Mm-hmm. So it was kind of beautiful that she just looked at me like how she always looked at me. But um, we have photos too. I think we'll whenever we air this episode, we'll post those. We have photos of doing cold caps, mm-hmm. the blue cold caps you'll see. And we have photos of us shaving your head. Yeah. And I remember it was one... Monday afternoon and you texted me and Anna. Anna is our older sister. And you said, today's the day. I can't do the cold caps anymore. I'm done. I'm ready. And we showed up hours later with Alex's trimmers. Yep. And none of us cried. It was a kind of a celebration. It was, yeah, it was honestly, I was ready. It was empowering. It was a relief. The cold caps were hard. I was, I was bottling up a lot of tension and anxiety with with losing my hair it was patchy it was I I think in the moment I had to just come to the reality that I was facing and my hair was going to grow back it didn't matter and I didn't know it was ahead of me but it it was like a release now way through my treatment you know I'm telling that was like at the beginning I will say it was really hard towards the end and we'll talk about when I got kind of hit rock bottom in a second but so let's move forward and talk about what was the best for you? What kind of support system did you find mm-hmm. during this time that was helpful for you? Yeah. Uh, well, number one, my faith. I covered myself in sh- scripture. My mom had to move in with us. I could not take care of Charlotte on my own. And Richard was working full time. She really saved me every day. She cared for my child. She covered me in scripture. Even when chemo got to be where I couldn't focus on words and I couldn't read, she'd pray over me. My friends, I had a huge support system of friends. A meal train, you signed us up for a meal train, which is incredible. Do that for any cancer patient out there, especially a mom who feels like, you know, as moms, you feel like you got to cook, you got to clean, you got to raise the kids, you got to watch, wa- wipe the bottoms and, and clean up. I mean, I could not do any of that. And I think there's a lot of guilt there. Luckily, I had family and friends who really wrapped their arms around me and did those things for me and told me it was okay to not feel guilty and it was okay to lay in bed and it was okay to rest. And that was huge. Also, social media. This is wild, but I searched high when I was diagnosed with choriocarcinoma I didn't I had never heard of it I actually went on Instagram and googled the hashtag because I was like I've got to find somebody out there who's done this before and knows what they're doing and has survived it I remember I I I found like two posts and one post was a, a girl woman who had a shaved head and she was had her family on the beach with her and she said, eight years cancer-free. And it was hashtag choriocarcinoma. She literally doesn't even know this, but she, I made her my screensaver for like months. Because she was going to be like my person I... I didn't think I was going to cry, but I'm like tearing up. <laughs> it's okay, I know, me too. <laughs> um, she was just going to be my like... Like your hope. Like you yes. saw her and you thought, eight years cancer-free. Yes, and she her she had her hair shaved, but I went to her other pictures. She had hair. Like, she was the epitome of survival for me, mm-hmm. and 
little does she know she meant everything to me. And that's why I put hashtags and different things on my Instagram because I'm like, there's somebody in the world who's just diagnosed that is grasping for answers. And when a doctor can't tell you you're going to be fine or not, you know, I think that the, no one can really tell you the outcome. You're going to be fine, but you just want evidence of somebody that's been through it and come out the other side. Mm-hmm. So social media, I actually connected with a lot of choriocarcinoma survivors. I connected with one in England. We still talk. You follow her on Instagram. Oh, she lives in England? The Positive Journey. I love yeah. her. Shout out to her. She's amazing and also a Christian and she's incredible. And then, you know, I connected with BJ and Nikki here in the States. And they so. came and visited or one of them came visited you while you were having treatment. Nikki did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will. I want to go back to one thing about your hair. Okay. I want people to know that your hair has grown back the same. We yes. were worried it was going to come like grow back differently and oh, it's yeah. like even thicker and more beautiful than ever thank you i no, just i feel like thick. that's hopeful for maybe people who don't have their hair at the moment you know what people <laughs> told me when i was finally done with treatment you know after a year they're like oh well you're gonna get that curly hair and i was like oh uh. what? <laughs> it, it came back the exact same yeah. if not thicker i highlight it right now you guys can't see me but it's it's you know right in the middle of my neck almost to my shoulders i actually just got it cut because the way your hair grows back, the back gets longer than the front. Cute little mullet yeah, action. Yeah, so you kind of have a mullet action until you can have it even out. But <laughs> I had to I had to say that because I was sitting here looking at your hair. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, so let's talk about you did those that treatment plan for about five months. Yep. And your hair was gone, but actually didn't totally fall out completely bald until no. later. But yeah. You were done. Your treatment, your your labs, your cancer markers was zero for multiple weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. What happened then? Tell us then. So the treatment was hard. I mean, so hard. But I still kept like a tiny healthy buzz. Like it wasn't like skinhead. Like I, and I still had a little bit of color in my face. I mean, it wasn't how I pictured I was going to look. I was surprised at myself. I was doing a lot of things through treatment like juicing and getting out in the sun and you know um I wasn't able they told me not to do any supplements because you didn't want to like you know counteract your treatment so I did no vitamins no vitamins at all especially vitamin c um which is so counterintuitive to probably (laughs) you as a nutritionist but they told me nothing to counteract the chemo so I got through it I was yeah, then my tumor marker was zero for many, many months. I was pronounced cancer-free on December 8th. I rang the bell. I did my last chemo. I was ready to put it behind me. We all celebrated. I went to Texas. We did all the things. We celebrated our birthday like three days later. It was really happy. Um, and I honestly thought, like, here we go. Like That was horrible, but we're going to move on. Um, so I went to Texas end of December to hunt which we always do. And I had my first follow-up appointment in the new year on January 4th. So I'd been cancer-free for a month. It was my doctor, you know, with any kind of cancer patient, you usually have like a every month follow-up, six months follow-up, whatever, for five years until the oncology unit releases you. Well, with my diagnosis, they, they do your blood work every month just to make sure that your tumor markers are down. So I went, it had been exactly a month. I went January 4th. I will never forget it. I'll never forget the 
smell in the room, the way her shoes squeaked, what I was wearing. My mom was with me. She came in with like this blank, terrible look on her face and I could tell immediately something was wrong. And she said, your tumor markers are up again. And it was a thousand, I think it was 1200 HCG, which is. It had been zero for months. Yeah. Which and and really as devastating as it was, it was back where I started, to be honest. And I think that is what, I mean, I plummeted into a deep, deep hole. I felt like the setback was crippling, really. For our family, this was the hardest mm-hmm. because all of a sudden there were fears for all of us. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be forever? Is this what going to work? Why is this coming back? I can't believe we have to do this again. Yeah. And it was much harder this time. Mm-hmm. Your spirit was down. It was hard for us to cheer you up. It was hard for us to accompany you to the hospital. Mm-hmm. It was hard for us to give you positivity mm-hmm. because we didn't know. We didn't know either. Yeah. And I think I just... I had this like wave of just encouragement and just like, let's do this at the beginning. And I had to really let myself grieve. Mm -hmm. And that was a part of the healing for me. Mm -hmm. I had to turn off social media. I had been really active on social media. I had to turn it off. I had to hunker down. I had to really just like do some really big inner mental work as I was going through new treatment. We came up with a new treatment plan. We, my doctor did. Um, which was a lot of the same schedule but different drugs and I started again immediately and I I had to turn off the background noise I literally gripped my bible at night I only kind of surrounded myself with like my immediate close friends and my family who was just like holding me and encouraging me and it was healing to just simplify things If that makes sense. And I think for you, too, you've kind of always been a people pleaser. Like if someone Mm -hmm. was bringing you food, you'd be like, come on in, let's chat. I'm good. And this was so able to give you boundaries because Mm -hmm. you could not handle it. And I think it's so it was a good lesson for all of us. But it's such a reminder to people that we don't have to do it all when you're (laughs) sick and and grieving, no matter what it is. And mom would like lay by my bedside and hold my hand and read the Bible to me and just say rest. It's okay to feel down. It's okay. But it's so important not to stay there. Like she was good about me, about allowing me to feel weak, but forcing me to get up. Like she wouldn't let me stay there. And I knew I couldn't let myself stay there for my mental health. I knew I had to, I wrote myself notes. I wrote on my mirror, setbacks mean comebacks. You are healing. I got my shoes on. I got my toboggan and my sweatshirt. I walked, even if I could only walk two sidewalks (laughs) down the street and turn around and come back, you know, two blocks and come back. I did it. It was like baby steps, baby steps. I gave myself teeny tiny goals. Um, Something, one of my favorite things to do when I was stuck in bed for so many months, I would literally write my favorite things things that made me happy, things I was going to do when I felt better, stick my toes in the sand, put my hair in a ponytail, like mm-hmm. little things. And I think this second time around, I really hit rock bottom. I mean, fear was so crippling for me that sometimes it was like, it was paralyzing and I, I could barely find the energy to walk from my bed to the bathroom. But there was something 
healing about staying there, feeling it, and then telling it to leave, you know? I remember that one thing you were prepared for and we were prepared for was the physical decline of chemo. So your, your hair we've mentioned, but like the physical changes, the nausea, the Mm -hmm. mouth sores, the fatigue. But one thing I don't think any of us, especially you were prepared for was the depression Mm -hmm. and the darkness that kind of came with it mentally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I remember when that second diagnosis came, the light just kind of went out and it was so hard to find it. Mm -hmm. You could barely walk from like your bed to the bathroom. Yeah. And so talk about that. Yeah. So like you said, you put it a good way. The light just kind of went out and it's not like the light disappeared at all. I was reading the Bible. I knew my faith. I knew that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead was inside of me. I knew that I had the strength. I knew those things. You just allowed that all this. I mean, you, you opened yourself to feel all the feels rather than the toxic positivity. And of course I felt all those things, but the darkness is so present and alive that you have to be able to have the strength to decipher the the two and not let the darkness overtake the light. The second time around, I was experiencing symptoms I had not experienced the first time around. Right. Like blood clots from treatment all the way through my arms, all the way up my neck. My arms swelled up. My face swelled up. I had to take shots in my stomach. For 30 days, I had mouth sores, I had such weakness, I mean, all the things. And I think that that too mentally sets you back too, because you're like, I'm supposed to be healing. Why do I feel like I'm falling apart? I think I had to allow myself to feel all the feels. I had to let go of the mom guilt, you know, as moms, like I said, we, it's hard. My heart goes out to moms battling cancer because Us as moms, we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to kiss the boo-boos. We're supposed to get the band-aids out. We're supposed to be the ones that hold, you know, we're the other way around. I needed, I felt like an infant. I needed somebody to hold me. And that was probably the hardest part that I had not anticipated. I want to say something happy. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) People are probably like, turn this off (laughs) well it's part of our story it's an important part it's hard it's this is a hard the hardest one we'll probably record but I remember we didn't have parties in your room anymore but mom and I switched off who spent the night in your room and we really made the best of it we had our friend who's an esthetician come and give you a facial one time shout out to Libby. Libby skincare by Libby. Is that her? <laughs> she's at Retief oh, Skincare. She came and gave me. That was probably. She doesn't even realize. She's probably one of the one, you know, one of the few people who saw me at that. Yeah. Really bad stage. Yeah. So we had facials in the room one day. Mm. There was one night that you had. You were just determined to have to feel good. Yeah. So. Um, we brought in cozy blankets and lamps so that you didn't have the fluorescence and we turned on music and we rolled around your IVs and danced yes, because we, we had did. read so much about the mind body connection and how you do sometimes have to choose happiness and mm-hmm. choose joy. And we danced in your hospital room. I love and- that so much. You were, you, that was my last cancer treatment. You stayed with me and we danced and I want to say something really quick about that because just because I'm, 
years out of cancer treatment and the the whole of it doesn't mean I still don't have those days where fear paralyzes me. It's so important to make the choice. I still struggle with that. I'm human. I've been through trauma, but it's like this, I feel like this should be like a little like home sign in home goods, but <laughs> make the choice to dance. I'm serious. Make the choice to not believe any lies about your body that are negative. Choose healing. Choose positivity. The mind really is very huge. powerful. I know. And we had fun that day, even though it was, you know, scary. And we knew it was your last day. Yeah. But we didn't because we had had a last day before. Right. So there was a lot that came with that last day. Like, is this enough? We skipped over. You did a lot of different drugs, new chemo. Mm -hmm. But you also ended up having your partial hysterectomy after this second diagnosis. So oh. the second diagnosis yes. was, okay, we need to do more chemo, more aggressive chemo. But also... This is where you had to grieve not having any more children in your own body. That's right. So, yeah, part of the second treatment was the partial hysterectomy. The tumor was in my uterus. It had grown back in my uterus. And they they tried to save my uterus because they, they knew I was, you know, young 30-year-old and that could beat this. But they decided it had to go. And so while I was really, you know valued my life and trusted my doctors, I still grieved it. I grieved being able to carry my own children. I, it's, it's grieving stuff like the loss of time, the loss of dreams you had for your family, the loss of growing your family, the, the loss of the idea of giving Charlotte a sibling, all those things. Plus, oh, we're going to give you the hysterectomy and then go straight into treatment. So I was, I was dealing with a lot, I was battling a lot of grief for my circumstances, for my body, for my uterus, all those things while I was getting treatment again. So as you can see, it was just like a downward spiral of, of grief. So I do have some good things to say about the day you had a hysterectomy. <laughs> yes. Um, number one, you recovered well. I was shocked that you had orthoscopic surgery they call it when they just um, go in robotic robotic they did, yeah because I had four four or five incisions on my abdomen and they went in with a robot which right. is crazy so, so you went home the same day I actually remember you beat me back to your house because I had lost my car in the parking garage and all of a sudden I pulled up and you were on your front porch just walking yourself and I was really impressed with that process. I think you were also still pretty drugged up. I was like, I have no recollection of this. <laughs> I do remember going home the same day after my meds wore off. But I was on high-dose painkillers for at least a few days after because right. of the soreness. I couldn't really. I remember Richard taking my arms and, like, pulling me up out of bed because mm -hmm. you couldn't, like. Use your abs. Yeah, you couldn't, like, lift your body up to get out of bed. Yeah, not that it was easy by any means, but I remember it being easier than we anticipated for your body. Oh, yeah. I think in my mind, I I didn't know what to anticipate, but it was like a blip on the spectrum compared to chemo. The surgery itself was was easy. I also remember Richard and I were waiting. It was just Richard and I. Again, that day mom was out of town, and they had done your hysterectomy last minute. 
they had said, okay, today's the day. Yeah. Your markers are zero. We're going in tomorrow. And so mom and dad were driving home from Florida. I think they drove into your house when you got home from right. here. So it was just Richard and I again. <laughs> and we had gone back there after your surgery and you were kind of loopy from all the drugs. Oh my gosh. And you were like, guys, I still have my ovaries and I still ovulate every month, but my body just absorbs the eggs. <laughs> you were yeah, like, that's so weird. They're just swimming around my body. You were like, that's you were, so we creepy. were laughing so hard because you, your I was mind so was blown. Your mind was blown that your body was just absorbing these eggs that were dropping. Yeah. And you were geeking out about it. And Richard, and, and honestly, if anybody who's been through anything like this, you know, you kind of have to cling to those moments. I remember Otherwise, being it's hard. giggly and laughy and like, I remember the nurse bringing me popsicles. It, that day was kind of, it, we were giggling and laughing and that was we kind of like had a to. fun. Yeah, that was, that was fun. So you had your hysterectomy and then you did a couple more months of treatment. Tell us about kind of the end of that. Yeah, well, they wanted to wedge my hysterectomy kind of in the middle of my treatment plan. So I had a couple more months of treatment. Um, I was doing regular blood work. My tumor markers remained zero for a really long time. They scheduled my last chemo treatment, and I was pronounced cancer-free in the spring. So as you can see, we were thrilled. I was ecstatic. I really believed that this time, including the hysterectomy, it was it was done. I, I printed out my, my report that Dr. Nick gave me on the last day, which told me I was basically healed and healthy and I stuck it on my mirror for like three months afterwards because I was like there was something that came out I was I was still crippled with the fear of it coming back so I had to work through that a lot I did EMDR therapy I was working on you know recovering my body physically but also I mean mentally was huge the EMDR I don't know if anyone knows about EMDR therapy we won't go into it but it's fantastic for people who have experienced trauma and um, you still struggle with that. I still struggle with that. And and I'm not going to go into completely the recovery part of it because we're going to do an episode two or a part two on just recovery because um, there's so much that goes into that. But I had to recover so much in my life. I re- had to recover who I was, my new identity. I was never going to be the same. I had to recover my marriage. We had to learn to love again, forgive each other for different things. I had to put fears behind me. All good things, though. I knew I had to choose to believe that good things were ahead. Um, But trauma and fear is an ever-changing tide. I say that all the time. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it drowns you. So it's so important. Just, Just a shout out right now. You must have a good support system um, around you that can hold you up when you can't hold yourself up and you are never alone. There's people out there that are going through it too. So that's my, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. That's, it's so (laughs) important. Amen to all of that. And And amen to being cancer free. I, I'm like, I briefed over that. But it was a it's, it took a lot to get there. This and spring you'll by be God's grace. Three years cancer free. I think so. Two years? Two and a half. Two and a half. Which doesn't feel like long, but it is. But in the spring it'll be three. Like I think, in April. Yeah, I think it will. And and with my diagnosis, when you hit a year, that was the big thing when I was 
released. I was waiting to hit a year. Cause oh, wait. Then you're two years cancer-free. Because when you hit yeah. a year is when we started really diving. You got right. egg retrieval. We started diving into surrogacy. Yeah, but I will say this. With choriocarcinoma, when you get a year post-treatment where you have good results and zero markers, your risk of reoccurrence goes down to like 3%. Or like one percent or something, yeah, like zero point three. Yeah, we don't know, guys, but it's but, low. But that's me and my oncologist. That was like our milestone to get to. So I feel like there's like a part of me that like took a huge deep breath when I hit that year mark. So we all went on vacation <laughs> after you were cancer free. Yeah. We had a family vacation with mom and dad, who had been through hell, mm-hmm. and to see their daughter sick and pretty much all hands on deck all the time mom and dad your family my family Anna Rayner yep. so we had all our family and I rem- remember I hadn't seen you in a week or two and in the healing journey that's a lot so you guys had been at the beach we drove down late we went we got there at midnight or so went to bed and I woke up and you came in my room and you were like hey I'm so glad you're here and I burst into tears I'll cry probably thinking about yeah. it yeah but you had eyelashes yeah. Yeah, my hair my hair had been the second round of treatment, my hair had been skinhead. I had no eyebrows. I looked sick. So hair I think is just such a presence of life. I can't believe I'm crying. I know, this. I know. <laughs> and um no, I just remember I sprouted eyelashes, yeah. I sprouted hair again, and I think it was just like it was like when spring comes, you just feel like life is beginning again and I think it was just a moment that you had that and I had too that it would just like promise or something yeah for sure and I remember that they (laughs) you didn't have enough eyelashes for them to put fake eyelashes on (laughs) so I think what happened is that you all of a sudden had had enough little stubs that you got fake eyelashes and then your hair was coming back like G.I. Jane and you woke me up and I didn't recognize you. I was like, yeah. oh my gosh. Anyway, it was just such a great time. We were at the beach. We were in the sun. You had eyelashes. <laughs> it's a, such a small thing, but it, were, it was so huge. And it was just this trip that was so Can fresh. I tell a funny story about that? Because yeah. I love the pictures from that trip. It's, it's such a like milestone in my life. And we took a picture at like right before dinner right before like a seafood restaurant and it's like all of us standing together I have my shave head and my orange romper remember and I'm in the middle of you guys so I put that picture I I make little photo albums for Charlotte to like put in her room because she likes to look at pictures of like cousins and stuff one night I was Richard and I were putting her to bed this was like last week and we flipped to through the foot we were like there's Samson there's Ruthie we went to that picture and I was like look Charlotte that's that was such a fun beach trip look at all your family and she was going she was that's Papa that's Daddy that's Alex and then she got to me with like the shaved head and like the she goes who's that guy (laughs) (laughs) Richard and I died laughing I was like Charlotte that's me do you remember when I didn't have hair and she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember. And that's such a, honestly, that's such a gift. It is a gift. Honestly. some For some reason, my kids remember. Sam is Charlotte's age. They're both almost four. And this was before we told them I was pregnant with Sarah's son and all the things. And Sam randomly one day said, do you remember when Sarah's head was sick? <laughs> And I was like, I do remember when her head was sick. It, it's like he he just randomly thought about it. 
It was Aww. so sweet. I said, yeah, but she's better, you know. Anyway, all right. So Sarah got eyelashes. We're excited about that. <laughs> and then we had the speech trip. Talk to us about, you know, what was next in your healing process, what specifically you did those few months after treatment. Okay, real quick. I want to shout out to this organization. It's called Waves of Grace. It's the organization that took us on this beach trip that Kathy's referring to. They do amazing work. They're right here in Brentwood, Tennessee. They support families battling cancer by sending them to an all-expense paid-for beach trip. And how healing is the beach, let's be honest. So they they pay for everything. They find a house. It's it's such a blessing for these for patients and their families to to be able to make these sweet memories. So Waves of Grace they're amazing. You can donate to them um, on their website, and they have an Instagram. You can look look them up. They're awesome. So there's a lot that went into my healing journey. I think you forever, when you go through something like cancer, you're you really never have the same outlook. I mean, everything. Your senses are heightened. Your gratitude is like oozing. You take, you learn that the small moment, this sounds really cliche, but you learn that the small moments were the big moments and are the big moments. Mm-hmm. I relish in like really small things like, you know, making cookies with Charlotte, picking her up from school, throwing my hair up in a ponytail, you know, getting it in the car, you know, just little things that I think that pre diagnosis and pre journey. I would have never thought twice about. I relish slow mornings, not the quick hurried mornings where you rush out the door and you slam down some food. Like I relish a quiet time. I relish keeping my circle small, doing big trips and adventures and eight second hugs. Like we always say, you always say eight seconds so that you, what is it? Eight seconds. You, uh, we need to do some pod, another podcast on this, but, um, it's like eight seconds before your body releases all the good serotonin and happy hormones that you get from a hug. So we yeah. do long hugs. Yeah. I told Richard that and he, he hugged me for eight seconds the other day. He was like, one, two, three, mm-hmm. four. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, we, we've covered a lot and we'll wrap up. We're going to do a second part to this cancer journey where we talk about healing and hope and life after trauma and maybe some things that has been helpful Mm -hmm. for us and some things that have that was helpful during that season so that if you do have family members or friends going through cancer you can kind of listen to what was helpful for us yep and I will say just to end on a really happy note that something that has been super healing for both of us has been going to the hospital and going to the doctor mm-hmm. for this baby, for this pregnancy, because we had to go a lot. And that the fertility clinic we went to was at the hospital. And it was so great going for this really happy, exciting reason. Yeah. And I think I didn't realize how much kind of trauma I had felt surrounding that office. And I started feeling a little bit that old, anxious anxiety. But, I mean, it's really been so healing for me to have such... First of all, I told Dr. Samples, I was like, I'm just so happy I'm not the patient. <laughs> I'm yeah. the one, like, just going with you. Yeah. But also to have, like, new life, a new baby boy, a son, a happy reason to pull into that parking lot has been, I think, he- not only healing for me, but I think also healing for you and our family. So thank you guys for listening. This We wanted this episode to be about hope, 
but we also wanted to give you a backstory about kind of where we've come from. We have a lot of hope and healing and um, a lot of happy things to talk about going forward, but this this episode was really important to me and really vital for us to share with you um, my story the last few years. So thank you for listening. Please subscribe and leave a review and share this with anybody who you think it would be encouraging to. And thank you for following along. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. This is the platform that we use to record and produce our podcast. Guys, we are not tech savvy. I was so overwhelmed thinking about how to start a podcast, but we knew that it was the best and easiest way for us to share our story. And Anchor has been so easy to use and really intuitive for anyone, no matter how comfortable you are with podcasting or technology. They simplify it for you. So you can record your episodes, add music, activate sponsorship, and distribute your podcast to Apple, Spotify, and all other listening platforms, all through Anchor. So download the Anchor app for free or visit anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. Have fun.